This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Fort Coquitlam and online at metromotors.com. Time now for Nation Network Radio on TSN 1040. Here are your hosts, Sean Abbott and J.D. Berg. Week number three on the program. Thanks for being with us a little later on a Saturday after the Giants have one in the books. Expect to have rotating time slots for the next couple of weeks, but ideally we'll join a little bit earlier on the Saturday. And, of course, we will do it every week for the hockey season. Nation Network Radio presented by Canucks Army. Glad you're with us. It is the beginning of hour two of the program. Talked about the 6-2 victory over the Capitals. The Canucks enjoyed on, enjoyed on home ice to give them four straight wins. We've debated Sam Gagne, Sven Berchi, Derek Dorsett. Talked about Brendan Gauntz and Utica Comets. And I think most of those subjects will reappear in what we're going to do on a weekly basis starting now, which is get listeners involved a little bit more. This time around, we're doing it via our Twitter, Twitter feeds, at HockeyAbsABBS, at J. Dylan Burke. And you can find some of the uh, responses as well, I'm sure, linked in with the Canucks Army account, as, of course, it is Nation Network and Canucks Army bringing you this program on TSN 1040. So let's kick it off. J.D., what do you have for us with the listeners weighing in? Well, we got a few questions today. I think we're going to lead off with a friend of the show, friend of mine, uh, Sam, whose account is at Sedinatronic. He asks, how do you feel about Sam Gagne being invisible? He's bringing it back. What do you think, John? How do you feel about Sam Gagne being invisible? Well, the five-on-five play uh, has been difficult to see him not break through and I'm just still waiting for the fit and that that's a you know that's a fallback a little bit I wouldn't go as far as to say a cop out but they've tried him on the left wing haven't had a goal yet tried him on the right wing just in one game maybe that experiment needs to be further played out I'd still like to see him down the middle just for argument's sake Uh, but it's hard to put Sam Gagne up to another line per se, when the three other lines surrounding the Canucks are playing so well. So there's some difficulty in how far Gagne can move. And, J.D., maybe the best way to uh, complete the thought from my standpoint is, is does he become a curiosity for someone to come out of the lineup? I'm not ready to go there yet, but you did suggest that if Granlin is indeed elevated from the Sutter group, if Gauntz returns against playing time, Gagne may be on the chopping block, and that, that could be the case. That seems like the most sensible solution to me. And, and just getting back to, to Sedina Tronic's point about whether Sam Gagne is invisible or not, he is the second lowest forward by 5-on-5 five five points per 60. That is not good enough. And if you want to look at uh, his underlying results, the Canucks are down in the shot attempt battle at 5-on-5 five five with him on the ice, so... The underlying results haven't been there. The personal results haven't been there. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as invisible because to me, it when I see him on that point on the power play, it just screams at me. But obviously going to need more. All right, let's get to our next question here. We're going to go back to Twitter. We're going to take this one from Aurel- sorry, Aurelio Reyes at Sayer Pa. Any chance Gaudet and Pedersen play in the Olympics, John? Well, it goes beyond just the realms of international players and NCAA eligible players. It goes into the CHL. Tom Rennie 
and the Canadian Hockey League with Hockey Canada have that built-in relationship uh, that has developed into one of the most iconic tournaments uh, in hockey, which is the World Juniors. And that's where Hockey Canada uh, certainly takes most of their players from is the Canadian Hockey League. And, of course, the Hockey Canada group giving back to grassroots levels of play. And uh, it's a good working relationship between the two. It'll be interesting for me to see who, what side comes out ahead in this or if there is a, an agreement willing to be reached. Because we can consider this for a moment, J.D., you, you have that in place with the World Juniors. So if you're thinking about a player going to the Olympics, it's going to be the best player in junior hockey, in the OHL, in the dub, in the Q. That player most likely is also going to be on the radar for the World Junior team. So... Is that player going to miss time from their club team at the World Juniors for two and a half, three weeks, go back to their league, and then go overseas to the Olympics, and all of a sudden that club team is missing their best player for largely two months? That is a tricky situation to navigate around. Does that mean Hockey Canada will be forced into and USA Hockey and insert your your country competing at the World Juniors, does that mean they'll be forced to make a decision otherwise and not have that player compete at the World Juniors and only have them available for the Olympics? I think that largely affects the Americans and the Canadians more than any other other nation. As far as NCAA players go, that's where, again, the Canadians, but largely the Americans, draw from the NCAA. It's the same type of thing. How much school? are those players going to be missing? If they're eligible for the World Juniors, do do their school teams decide that that's too much missing from their schedule? So the World Juniors right now is going to play a big part into, in my opinion, what happens with the eligibility of both CHL players and NCAA players and how much time they can miss from their club teams or their school teams and how much education time is missed. I think it's easier for international players And there are certainly reports going around as recently as today, J.D., that the Swedes would certainly look at a guy like Elias Peterson on their roster. And the start he's had certainly proves that talent-wise, you'd think you'd want him there if the best of the best in the NHL aren't there. So if you're picking out of a hat right now, I'd say Peterson, judging by the reports, has the best chance to be there ahead of maybe a guy like Adam Gaudet. You know what's going to be really interesting for me? I think that... USA Hockey has already confirmed that they have Adam Gaudet on their radar. We know for a fact that Pedersen is on Sweden's ra- radar, and why not? I mean, he just had a five-point game on, what was it, Wednesday? And that's playing against men in the SHL, so he can hang in there. What's going to be interesting for me, Ole Ulevi. You look at the way he's playing right now with TPS and Liga, that's the Finnish men's league. He is already a top-five point producer by under-20 players in Liga. That is a men's league, so... Is Ole Levy going to jump onto the scene? That is, for me, the more interesting question. I think there's definitely going to be a role for Adam Gaudet and certainly for Elias Peterson if they keep up their hot play. The more interesting question just goes a, one rung further down to Ole Levy. All right, we're going to have to take another question here. This one comes to us from Travis Ram at Travis Ram with two S's. How fast can the Canucks get Bergevin on the phone to trade for Dorsett? He is, of course, talking about Mark Bergevin, the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Let's take a broader... I think that's a joke, right? 
I think so too, but let's take a broader look here. Do you think there's a scenario where Derek Dorsett has value at the trade deadline for somebody who values character to the extent that Mark, Mark Bergevin arguably does? <laughs> well, Bergevin's first area of concern for me would be what do you do with Andrew Shaw and uh, his contract? So I think before he's adding a guy of similar um, fortitude, shall we say, probably looking within to find out the makeup of your roster and also who's going to score some goals in Montreal. So interesting that that name gets brought up. Uh, I, I understand where you're going with it a little bit, considering that the Canadians have had a poor start. That's a little too far down the road for me at this point. But to your question, JD, I think the spinoff of this um, original question is that absolutely, if Derek Dorsett has proven by the time we get to the, the, the trade deadline that not only is he okay physically to battle, and and can be part of the mix for a playoff run that the team would obviously be invested in a deep one, they hope, but also has a little bit of <laughs> offense to give? Absolutely. I mean, the New York Rangers took a chance on Derek Dorsett with his most serious previous injury to this, which was a collarbone. He didn't play a game for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and the Rangers still traded for him to go into the postseason. Now, that postseason was short-lived for the Rangers, but the year later, they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final with Derek Dorsett on their team and lost eventually to the Los Angeles Kings before Dorsett became a member of the Vancouver Canucks. So it's happened before. I think absolutely it could happen again. We'll find out. There's a little bit of time between then and now. The question for me really is, are the Canucks going to be willing to retain salary? Because they've already got two salary retained transactions. When you look at uh, Yannick Hansen, look at Roberto Luongo, that leaves them with one spot open. If they use that on Derek Dorsett, which they might have to do to create value, because, listen, great story, bad contract. I'm sorry, 2.65 is a bit rich for any fourth liner. And at the end of the day, Derek Dorsett is a fourth liner. So I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult than some Canucks fans would like to, to make it out to be, but certainly it is a possibility. And you're talking about the fact he still has a year left on that contract before becoming a UFA. Yes, that is a good thing to point out. Now, do you think we have time for another question, John? Yeah, let's go for another one. Let's do it. Okay, and this one comes to us from Champ at Matt underscore A underscore Champ. If you split the Sedines, what lines would you make? I personally never really advocate for splitting the Sedine twins. I think that the value of the Sedine twins is that you get greater than the sum of your parts, and that's kind of been the, the luxury of the Sedine twins. So... I don't know if I'm the one to answer this question, really, I'd, if, I, if I would split the Sedins, because I wouldn't. If I had to, though, that's a tough one. I think you put uh, you have to put Daniel with, with Burmistrov, because you're not splitting up Horvat and, and Berchi. And I guess you have to put Hank in place. You, you, I don't know. This is a tough one, John. <laughs> I, I'm struggling here. You're what? taking this on the fly, so it is a little bit more difficult. I'm, I'm going to try and make it easier on you yeah let's for argument's sake say oh daniel henrik jake Bertanen, they look pretty good together yep. especially for the time being oh and there's another option daniel henrik and marcus granlin so let's leave five on five alone if you're splitting them up would you do so on the power play and i mean it's as easy as who goes to what unit i perhaps but do you have ideas as far as that goes and what that would look like well, well, here's the thing, and I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. You can split up the Sedines on the power play because right now the current Canucks power play structure is so wonky that it doesn't even matter 
that you can get the greater than the sum of those parts because they're so far apart in that awkward one three one formation that I mean you're not getting the best out of them anyway. So if if you ask me what I would do, perhaps I'd take Henrik and put him onto that uh, that unit with Bo Horvat with with Brock Besser, Sven Berchi, kind of give them a pure setup man because that's something that unit kind of lacks. Wouldn't it, wouldn't you agree with that? I mean. Bull Horvat is more of a scorer. Sven Berchi maybe a bit more of a playmaker, but again, well, Hen Henrik can work out of the right corner. Uh, Berchi works off the left, so there's some there's some intrigue to that setup yeah. for me, and uh, certainly long been questioned as to would you split up the Sedins? I think uh, Tortorella probably most famous in that regard, but yep. it seems like any coach, uh, any regime. A couple years after the, the 2011 run, that has been a question, and uh, here it is again. So we appreciate everybody weighing in today. We will expand this segment for future shows when we have a little bit more time and more uh, resources to our fingertips to use as well. We'll eventually open up the phone lines, eventually open up uh, interactive email and text as well. But for this edition of our listener questions and responses, we really appreciate it on this Saturday. By the way, the Canucks... Not skating today. We'll skate on Sunday at practice. Let's go back a day ago to Friday and hear from Travis Green on his update heading into the weekend. Yeah, just precautionary. Blocked a shot yesterday and good day to test it out and just felt like it wasn't worth pushing through it. How do you think he's holding up? I know it's 10 games into the season, but that was the first sort of prolonged road trip for a guy that didn't really do that in college, and you've sort of been monitoring his situation. How do you think he's come through the first 10 games? Yeah, he's, he's holding up fine. Um, I think the back-to-back -back game was a was a test for him. Uh, but I thought we've had some good downtime, some rest time on the road as well, so... Yeah, that's interesting because Vanek said that he likes uh, he likes a two-way street. He likes input from you, and he wants to be able to give it back to you. Do you have that kind of rapport with, with him? Uh, we've had some meetings. He, you know, he he's come in, and I, I have an open door policy. If you if you've got questions, I don't think it's good for players to go home and and wonder. Uh, you know, if they want to know how they're playing or how I think they're playing or questions about the game itself. I think it's important that they come in and ask. And uh, But on the flip side, you, it's important to tell them how you feel. Travis Green on Friday addressing perhaps some fan concern that Brock Besser was not on the ice. It appears as though it is a minor uh, bump and bruise day, uh, just a, an extra day to give the youngster that is lighting it up a uh, chance to have a bit of a break. Five power play points for Besser, nine points in total for Besser through this point in the season. I blocked a shot against the Capitals Thursday, didn't skate Friday. Team is off today, as we talked about. Uh, so we can touch on the fact that Besser... Uh, certainly would be the worst case scenario if he had any health concerns, but doesn't appear to be. I'm more intrigued, though, J.D., about uh, what we heard from at the end of our, our clip from the coach out of his press conference a day ago, and that was talking about an open-door policy. You certainly like that and respect that as a player, I would think, particularly with a, a new head coach at the National Hockey League level. Although my first thought is it applies more to younger players, less experienced players, and lo and behold it's a veteran Thomas Vanek, as we hear from Ben Kuzma, that is taking up Green on his own accord, and I think that's very encouraging to find out that a guy like Vanek is that invested. Uh, what what do you make out of the comments you hear from Travis Green well, in the last segment? That's encouraging on a number, number of levels. I mean, you talk about a veteran being invested. This isn't just a veteran. This is, as we said earlier, the king of meth. The guy who doesn't look invested. He doesn't kind of He's not a very fiery player. 
He's somebody who can disappear for, for long stretches of the game at a time, but to see that in his own way, he's still kind of bringing that passion to the rink every day, leading by example, setting a good course for the youngsters to follow, that is huge because we think about Thomas Vanek and what kind of value he adds to this team over the long-term projection of their of their arc getting back into competitiveness. And I usually think of Thomas Vanek as somebody who's going to put up a lot of points with the Canucks this year, playing in a kind of protected role. He's getting power play time. He's playing with the Sedins, getting a lot of offensive zone starts. And I see that as eventually turning into something the Canucks can, can turn into, like a second or third round pick at the deadline. What I hadn't considered was the impact he can have on the young player's development because watching him play, you just don't, you don't get the sense that he's a leader. You don't get the sense that he's kind of rallying the troops or, or anything like that, but he's leading by example, and that, that counts for a lot, I think. You were talking about Derek Dorsett and the example he set for Bo Horvat. Perhaps that's something that uh, a young sniper like a Brock Besser can take and learn from. And it is the Canucks that are hopeful. Indeed, it is just a maintenance day for Brock Besser. Nothing more. We will not find out an update on that uh, further until Monday when the Dallas Stars arrive. And that is where we go next as we continue our discussion on all things Canucks. It's their opponent on Monday evening. Big D in town for the first time under Ken Hitchcock's regime. Once again, we'll be joined by Taylor Baird. Uh, coming out of DefendingBigD.com. Her thoughts on the Stars and teeing up the Monday matchup as Nation Network Radio continues on your voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. Welcome back to Nation Network Radio on this Saturday, presented by Canucks Army, John Abbott, J.D. Burt, taking you through Hour 2 of the program, uh, talking all things Canucks. Already touched on the Utica Comets with Corey Hergott as well. Time to look at Vancouver's opponent on Monday. That is the Dallas Stars for their first trip into Van City, and for that we turn to one of our Stars insiders from DefendingBigD.com, Miss Taylor Baird, at Taylor D. Baird on Twitter as well. Thanks for joining the program, Taylor. Yeah, thanks for having me. It is the Stars making their way into the West Coast through Colorado, through Edmonton, through Calgary, and then arriving in Vancouver uh, to play the Monday night matchup. Uh, interesting that the Stars just seem to be on the tips of so many tongues, including my own, for the last couple of seasons, and again this year as a team that has such high hopes and expectations, uh, one that I've picked to you know, do very well, get back into the playoff picture, and maybe this time get over the hump. It's Ken Hitchcock back behind the bench. Maybe we can start there. Uh, a, a difference from Lindy Ruff to Ken Hitchcock, is this like the old Hitch regime, or is it slightly changed a little bit? It's slightly changed in the sense that, you know, when Hitchcock was here back in the early 90s, it was all about you know, making sure that you shut down the opposition, and that was the very first uh, priority, and then the offense kind of came second. And what he has here is he's got way too many offensive weapons to employ the same kind of mentality, but he has tried to stress defense by way of offense. And so what that means is go along the board, win the puck battles, and as long as you have the puck, the other team doesn't, and thereby you're going to get your offensive chances, but you're also going to limit your chances again. Well, and, and one of the, the big adjustments, I suppose, for Ken Hitchcock coming from, from St. Louis is, is all the offensive stars that he has to work with. 
in Dallas. I mean, he had uh, Tarasenko over when he was coaching the Blues, but I don't ever think he's had quite the arsenal that comes with being a coach of the Dallas Stars. You talk about Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn. They added uh, Alexander Radulov this offseason. They added Hansel and Spezza. What's really been interesting to me is the way the Dallas Stars have really loaded up on their top two lines. I thought originally when I saw that Hansel was going to Dallas that he was going to be a third-line center, sort of a shutdown specialist. Just looking at the way things are, are breaking down through these, these first few games here, it looks like the Stars are loading up on that second line with Hansel in the middle and Jason Spezza on the wing. And, and you were saying that secondary scoring has been something of an issue for the Stars. Can you kind of speak to what's going on there? Because they've still got a lot of talent in that bottom six, and it's just not coming together. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tyler Pitlick and Radek Foxen and Hunter Phillips have, have created a lot of good chemistry amongst themselves. And so they've kind of, they've kind of emerged as a, as a bottom six line. But I think the rest of the lineup is still kind of in flux. They're still trying to figure out all the pieces and trying to figure out what works. And what we have seen is Jason Spezza has been completely cold to start the season. And if he's going to be your main main guy on your second line, you really need him going because if he doesn't go, then the rest of the line isn't going. So what they've done is they've kind of put Hansel in as center in order to hopefully spark some offense by Spezza. And once he gets going – he tends to kind of roll for there for a little while. He's always been a street scorer, uh, and he's admitted as, as much to the media here in Dallas. But, you know, once he gets one, then maybe it'll become two, and he'll be, gain a little bit more confidence that as long as he, he's doing what he's doing, he's going to get gonna get the bounces. And so I think he's been kind of the key to the fact that the secondary scoring really hasn't been there. And when you look at the lineup, Ben, Sagan, Radulov, Betha, Hansel, Foxa, you know, all those guys have been really good on offense. And when you've got half of them not rolling, it becomes kind of a problem for the team as a whole. Right, and another area where the the Stars wanted to address this offseason and perhaps going back to the Ken Hitchcock signing as their head coach, it all it all comes full circle here. They traded for Mark Mathot. They, they signed Martin Hansel, as we alluded to, and, and he is primarily a shutdown center. They also brought in Ben Bishop. Can you speak to some of the changes they've made defensively, not only to their roster construction, but in terms of what kind of an impact that's had through their first handful of games? Well, I think the first thing you you have to talk about when you look at the fact that the Stars are one of the best teams in terms of shot against and limiting the chances against uh, in the league so far, it all starts with Ben Bishop. When he's back there, the guys in front of him seem to play with a confidence that they haven't had uh, with Kari Lettman and Anthony the last few seasons. And the reason for that is because Ben Bishop tends to come up with that save that you need at that time. So when the, when the tide of the game seems to be turning in favor of the opposition, he's able to come up with that big glove save or that big pass-back save and really just kind of shut it all down. And his communication between himself and his defenseman in front of him, I think has also been an added benefit to the team. And so I think that it kind of starts from the net out. They always talk about that with defense. Yes, your your goaltender is your last line of defense, but at the same time, you know, having that guy back there that everyone knows will make that big save when you do make mistakes kind of gives you more confidence that, even if you do make the mistake, it's not going to all automatically be a goal again. 
So, Taylor, why did Hitch pull him? Uh, that That's sort of taken the, the NHL this past week by storm. It was uh, just to reset the scene. It was uh, the Stars in Dallas and a close, I think it was a one-goal hockey game at that point, and uh, Ben Bishop gets the hook. Why did Hitch take him out? Yeah, I mean, the Dallas Stars have never been successful in Colorado the last, like, five years. And, uh, you know, in that game at Mile High City, basically what happened was he let in the third goal. It was a one-goal game, you know, and he pretty much pulled him as a wake-up sign to his team, basically saying that, you know, if I can pull him out, any of the rest of you can come out too. So you need to wake up and you need to get it together. And they really did. And honestly, they just kind of ran out of time at that point. They really kind of poured it on strong, and they looked like they, they had the opportunity to, to get the equalizer, um, maybe force that overtime, but they just kind of ran out of clock. Um, and so it had the the impact that he wanted on the team, you know, but you do kind of wonder if Ben Bishop didn't hold, didn't hold a little bit of kind of like, seriously, you know, because he's had several goals in the last couple of games that have been, you know, it's not anything that he's done. It's not, he's out of position. It's I'm going, going behind the net to play the puck and I'm getting tangled up with my defensive skate. I mean, how often are you going to see that? Yeah, you're right. And, uh, not very often do you see a player, no matter the position, so outspoken about a change that a coach has made. But Ben Bishop feeling it was the time and place to let his opinion be known. Uh, it is Taylor Baird speaking to us from Dallas, Texas. DefendingBigD.com is where you can find her or at Taylor D. Baird as we continue to set up the Canucks and Stars on Monday evening. And I'll continue that train of thought for a moment Taylor Canucks have battled a Detroit team that have had their ups and downs and are in maybe small beginning stages of turmoil I don't know if you want to take it that far but the coach Jeff Blaschel has been on the hot seat Canucks pick up a win Minnesota uh, their next opponent went through all kinds of injuries and uh, had been uh, battling their way to be through the beginning of the season Canucks pick up a win. Then they meet the Washington Capitals this past Thursday, having their own injury and illness problems. Again, a hot topic in that city. Canucks pick up a win. So Vancouver's been able to play off some of the adversity the other teams have faced. Uh, should the should the Canucks fans expect Dallas to be in the same state, or do you think uh, what's come and gone with some of the problems the Stars have had early and Ben Bishop is just that, out the out the window? I think that it's, it's kind of in the past now. And honestly, um, if Vancouver sleeps on the fact that Dallas has been quote unquote struggling to start the season, you know, then they're, they're going to wait the monster. Um, you know, Dallas is looking for a game where they, their offense can come out and completely unleash. So if they sit back and they try to play it, play it uh, cool or try to try to be, you know, a little too cute with the puck, Dallas is going to make them pay. Now that's not to say that Dallas can't potentially be on the other end of that same scenario. Um, so I think both teams need to be look on the lookout, you know, lookout. I mean, Dallas is looking to try to garner some kind of points off of this road trip, the first big road, road swing of the season. You know, road games were a problem for them last year, and you can make hay at home, but if you're not picking up points on the road, you're not going to get very far. Now, one question I wanted to ask you about was, was Dan Hanhuse. He almost became a star uh, two trade deadlines ago. That didn't work out. The Stars opted for Chris Russell which, speaking of, also didn't work out, you could argue. Dan Hamhuis ends up signing with the Stars, not this offseason, but the one prior on a two-year deal. 
how has he looked for the stars? I remember when he came to the Canucks, he was seen as a last piece, somebody who could put them over the top to contend for a Stanley Cup. Now he's got more of a mentorship role on a very young blue line. And, and how has he transitioned to that with the young stars defense corps? You know, I think Hamus has been much like the stars, kind of up and down to start the season. He has had his good times. He's had his bad times. But then again, so has the entire team. Um, I think that playing on, on the bottom pairing is actually going to be pretty good for him because, you know, he is getting older. You know, you don't want to put all of those big minutes on him um, throughout the season and then completely wear him down by the end um, in time for the playoffs. So I think that he's kind of settled into and kind of accepted that role. And, you know, with Lindell and Klingberg uh, off to just a fire start to start the season, Dallas isn't struggling to find that first pairing, and therefore he doesn't feel like he has to be that either. Um, he's had some success and some chemistry with young rookie Julius Honka, but I think that much like the forward, Ken Hedgecock is still trying to figure out what his ideal defensive pairings are. Well, it is a Dallas team that is trying to recreate some magic from the 2015-16 season where they not only took the division but took the Western Conference. It's the next step that they're hoping to to get there as well, which is uh, come to come to life in the postseason. We're a long ways from that, but we appreciate your time setting up a Monday evening matchup, Stars and Canucks, uh, coming up on the other side of the weekend. Thanks for being with us, Taylor. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Dallas Stars moving through Colorado, Edmonton, and Calgary before getting to Vancouver on Monday. We thank Taylor Baird for her time setting up the Canucks' next opponent, strangely having to wait through Saturday and Sunday to get there. But we're glad you're with us on this Saturday night. Nation Network Radio, John Abbott, J.D. Burke, presented by Canucks Army. One segment to go. Karma is coming up on The Voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. I, I see a lot of things I like in Ben, ben Hunt's game. Uh, I've had a couple of questions where people have thought he's struggling at the start of the year, but I feel he's playing playing a strong game. I like his uh, defensive game. I think he was plus four going into the game last night. Uh, yeah, he's not getting points that maybe people are expecting out of him, but uh, you know, he's really competing hard in his own zone and. Uh, I like I like what he's doing, and Tanny's, you know, whoever plays with Tanov, it's uh, you know, he's a real smart player, makes makes the game easier for his partner. But uh, you know, RD have played well in general. That's the voice of Travis Green as we come back for our closing segment, week number three, Nation Network Radio, presented by Canucks Army. I am John Abbott, uh, joined as always, all season long, by J.D. Burke, and we're going to wrap it up on this Saturday evening, uh, reflecting back on the news that was for a moment. That was Travis on Friday. Canucks off today. We'll skate tomorrow at UBC, but... It is not only the defense that have been a topic of discussion. Eric Branson, by the way, after not finishing the game on Thursday night against the Washington Capitals, did practice Friday. Appears to be okay. Brock Besser 
did not skate on Friday after blocking a shot in that Thursday game. By all indications, uh, that's nothing more than a maintenance day, a regular break in the action for Brock Besser. Canucks are certainly hoping that is the case. So we'll continue to be peeled to that news all weekend long on TSN 1040, right into the Monday matchup versus the Dallas Stars. But to track it back, it was Green commenting on Ben Hutton, which leads us into our new weekly segment, which is karma. Yes, there is good karma. There is bad karma. And I have to eat my words just a little bit here, J.D., as much as it pains me to do so. I was not a fan of Ben Hutton being on the top pairing with uh, Chris Tanev in the absence of Alex Edler, who remains out with a knee injury. Uh, Of course, there's Troy Stetcher on the sidelines as well, and so that leads into Ben Hutton, Hutton getting more power play opportunity perhaps. I'm certainly okay with that. I am all in on Ben Hutton having the opportunity to either run a power play or help run it from the blue line. Five on five, I I really believe that there is a minute mark for Ben Hutton, and he is better served as a 3-4 or even a tremendous five. Now, a tremendous five, that means the previous four have to be more solid, in my opinion, different pedigree than what the Canucks have to offer right now. So that is... That's really pie-in-the-sky grandiose thinking as to a lot of what-ifs if the Canucks blue line had this player look like this, look like that. So Ben Hutton is a 3-4, and, and that's okay with me. But he's playing above his head a little bit here, and lo and behold, this is where I eat my words because he's that's playing right. well, and the stats are backing that up, coming off a game where he played over 23 minutes against the Washington Capitals, 25-plus the game before that against Minnesota, and again, 25-plus in Buffalo, and largely doing it as a top-pair guy. And he was doing it alongside Chris Tanev. And if you'll remember last week, we had Canucks Army's Jeremy Davis on the show. He was in the midst of writing an article on why Ben Hutton is better than most of us think. You two got into a bit of a back-and-forth, and you were talking about Okay, if if we think that Ben Hutton is a good defenseman, somebody you can slot into a second pair, first pair, wherever, where are you going to play him at even strength? Jeremy Davis was saying you play him with Chris Tanev. He thought that was a good option at 5-on-5. Five five. You were less convinced. I liked Michael Delzano. I really did. And I was, I was torn on that subject because as much as I feel like Delzato at times has earned the coach's trust and is still a go-to for Green late in games, we saw it again on Thursday, Delzato and Tanev, when the game moved into the late stages, even with that uh, sizable lead against the Capitals. But it's tough for me to to go all in on that notion because I really feel like Goodbranson plays better. There's more of a an insulator when Delzato and Goodbranson are together, and I can't have it both ways, so I suppose it does leave me open for even more uh, holes to be poked in, in certain conversations, and and you're, you're you're just fine getting the fork out oh, yeah. and sticking oh, yeah. it in me here. Because, I had to suffer it last week. Because of the Hutton topic. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and uh, Jeremy Davis, actually, he put out his article on Ben Hutton on Canucks Army, and just the level of analysis on that was so thorough. He gets into his penalty kill mic- micro-statistics, his five-on-five transitional data, which is tracked by Daryl Keeping. Great follow on Twitter at dkeeping. And you're going to see a lot of information on how the Canucks are exiting their zone if you go to that resource. Now, I like the numbers, J.D., uh-huh. but it's compared against the Canucks. The Canucks, right? Yep. So give me something league-wide. Who does Ben Hutton stack up against? Where does his type of minutes rank based on his numbers then and his performance? So uh, I'd, love, I'd love to take it a step further. I really appreciated the article from Jeremy. Uh, my goodness, was that in-depth. It was. Yeah. Uh, I think I took two <laughs> coffee breaks 
uh, just to get through it. But that's the kind of stuff you can find on CanucksArmy.com. Try being his editor. Not only just the numbers, <laughs> but putting it together uh, to form an argument, which is fantastic. That's sports. That's the beauty of having a show like this. That's the beauty of further uh, taking it uh, to the next steps in the in the print form. But there's there's a lot that you are better suited to assess there than I. Overall, did you agree with the metrics? Yeah, yeah. I think it's the the data that he went to is was great, and and the way I would describe it is a lot of the times I'll lean on analysis that's based on five on five shot attempt differential, and that's because it has predictive value towards future goals. What Jeremy Davis is looking at here is what we call micro statistics. So tracking inputs into a player's output, Corsi 4 percentage. Certainly one of the flaws in that analysis, or not even flaws, I'd say shortcomings in that analysis, is that a lot of this work has to be done by people like Daryl Keeping, like Jeremy Davis, like myself two seasons ago. We have to track this data manually because the NHL is still in the, the Bronze Age as it concerns integrating further analysis into their players with advanced statistics. So in terms of how he compares league-wide, we don't really have that clear of a picture. And and that's something that you pointed out, and I think that's a really fair, not criticism, but observation as it concerns the limitations of that level of analysis. And I think Jeremy would be one of the first people to concede that. Now, if you want to look at how Hutton compares across the league when we look at some of his other underlying metrics, something that was also pointed out in the article is that even on the Canucks... Hutton's Corsi 4, not so good. It wasn't even good relative to his team, which means that they didn't fare any worse or better when he was off the ice. It was just average. You look at him league-wide last year, Dawson Springs, who used to work with uh, with Hockey Data, a company that I worked for to track microstatistics. Is that a real name? Yes, that is a real name, Dawson Springs. And he... <laughs> and I hope he's not listening. He might take offense to that. <laughs> and An awesome name. I just had to double check there. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. We we worked at uh, a company called Hockey Data, and he develops a lot of bigger picture metrics to sort of take all of these inputs that we're talking about, all the, the penalty kill statistics, uh, even strength statistics, to come up with a war number, which is wins above replacement. And so when you bring all that together and you look at where Ben Hutton ranks league-wide, he was, like you said, he was about a four or five last season. And when I look at some of his underlying statistics and how his his pair uh, his partners fare with or without him, I, I think that's a big sticking point for a lot of people. Just to interject is anticipating where you're going here. I mean, it was a regression last year for Ben Hutton, which uh, you know yeah. at times happens in that that second sophomore year, year. Uh, sophomore slump. But most people believe it was a little bit further than just his own individual play. It's that maybe he wasn't set up to succeed. Is that you know that's an argument that is out there. Yep, yeah, and you talk about not being set up to succeed. I think you can point to, and uh, I think a lot of people know where I'm going with this, you can point to Eric Branson for that. I mean, even looking at Eric Branson's contributions this season, he is the single worst 5-on-5 Corsi 4 player on the Canucks. That means that the Canucks are controlling 43% of the shot attempts with Eric Branson on the ice. When he is off the ice, the Canucks do 10% better by this metric. 10%. Now, that is what Ben Hutton was playing with most of the last season. So you look at his transition. He was playing with Dan Hamhuis a lot in his first year, even a little bit of Lucas Spiza too, but mostly Dan Hamhuis. And then you go to Eric Goodbranson, and do you think it's a coincidence that his numbers dipped so much? I I don't think so. But here's here's the thing for me is that, boy, I mean, there were so many injuries last year uh, to almost every position, but particularly to D, 
I liked Adler and Stetcher together. I really oh, did. Yeah. Which left Great which left the door open for someone else to be paired with Tanev, which in turn, either in a more well rounded way, you know, there's two pairs that can make up top pairing minutes if you want to, if you want to roll out your top four consistently and spread things out. Great. And if you're not in the top four, then you have perhaps Hutton and Goodbranson as a 5-6, which is a completely different conversation, I think, than yep. uh, potentially where they're used as a 3-4. So some of that is variables coming in. I, I'm not as sharp against certain things as you are. Uh, I do agree that Hutton and Tanev has looked better certainly recently than I thought it would. And I like Ben Hutton. I uh, This is not me being against the player. I'm just not ready to commit to seeing more of him in a one-two role. And I realize it's by necessity. And, folks, I don't pretend that any of it is easy. That's one of the most difficult positions to have a player jump up in and, in fact, yeah. leap up in. But that's why I was so impressed with Troy Stetcher and what he was able to do with Alex Edler. That's why I have admittedly been uh, liking what I've seen from Ben Hutton, again, in the very recent uh, you know, levels of games of assessment. But I just don't think it's sustainable. And... I still believe that there's there's room to grow for Ben Hutton to the point where I don't know where he ends up. I don't know where he finishes at the end of the day as a fifth-round pick that the Canucks have certainly taken advantage of, that he's made the most of his opportunity. Does he get beyond a 3-4 guy? I don't know. I think there's still ground to be made up in how he sees the game on his conditioning, and how much he's put in a position to succeed offensively, because I think that's still a big asset for him, but not giving up as much defensively. And that's a whole lot to take in. So I'm just stating my argument to suggest that I'm not done with Ben Hutton. I'm not casting him off into the scrap heap or suggesting that he won't ever amount to as much as he is now. I just, I'm not ready to see it right away. I think there's that natural stage of progression. So things have been thrust forward. And I have to concede, he has done better than I thought. But I'm taking it more of a bigger picture, mm-hmm. and I just don't think he's there yet for me as as an answer. So it, it, it will be interesting to see where he comes out of then. How does he use this to his advantage? That's where I'd like to go with it. How does he use this to his advantage when Edler does come back, if Edler is repaired with Chris Tanev? Do we see a different Ben Hutton making the most of lesser minutes because he's had that experience. You know, I'd like to see him take that next step. And um, I've been pleasantly surprised with Michael Delzato. I thought the last two games, Capitals and Minnesota, have been some of the better ones for Erica Branson. And mm-hmm. maybe the ball's slowly rolling there after an injury plague season. Derek Pouliot, I don't know what to think. I thought the game against the Capitals, 5-on-5, five five, he took a step back. He was very good in Minnesota. Yep. Threw Best some game pucks, of the year. Threw some pucks up the middle in his own zone and, and looked a little shaky in his own in his own zone at times for me against the Caps, but he's, the there on, of his career. he's there on the power play, and I like that part of it. Delzato's a guy that can relate with Derek Pouliot in how they were drafted and how they were hyped and how far Delzato has come in rounding out his game from being only an offensive-minded guy that mistakes continue to pile up at the other end to now being utilized as one of the key cogs for Travis Green, even when there is a full lineup. So uh, I think the one thing I'm taking from this 
group of four wins is that the Canucks have found scoring. They've managed to keep the offense at bay at times against Minnesota and Washington. I realize not with all their top guns. They've found the goaltending in the last two games to stand in front of. And it's this is a good growth year, which is what it's all about, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's all about development this year. And you look at the Canucks' competitive arc. They're about, what, three, four years away from being a competitive team again, if we're being realistic. I mean, this this short-term success is great, and everybody's enjoying it. But do we really think that the Canucks are going to be third or fourth in their division when we roll into April? Or Vegas. Or Vegas. Yeah, ex- exactly. Vegas is what, tops of the division? No, L.A. is. Vegas is second. And that's just what happens. It's not even American Thanksgiving yet, which is what a lot of people consider the cutoff for whether you're going to make it or not. Now, we've got to be fair to you here because we're talking about Ben Hutton. You don't have to be, but continue. But I, I, journalistic <laughs> integrity. That's, that's what it's about. You are less of a Ben Hutton doubter than I was Derek Dorsett when we did Karma last week. So I'm just going to step in, you know, mediate here and, and just say that uh, you are by no stretch of the imagination a Ben Hutton hater. Thank you're, you. You're just that's, getting your comeuppance right now. Yeah, and that's a perfect way to put it because I don't want people to be misguided by us throwing it out on the table, but we're having some fun with it. It is the segment where we usually do karma. Yep. Uh, it'll be a weekly edition. And, folks, uh, in the weeks to come, stay tuned through social media for more opportunity to be a bigger part of the show because not only do we want to do things a little bit differently here, uh, Nation Network Radio, we also have the opportunity to get you involved as we uh, really mold into our set time frame on Saturdays. We thank you for being with us on this late edition after the Giants game on Saturday. We'll be back in a week's time as the Canucks move through another Another week of scheduled play. It all starts Monday against the Dallas Stars. We've had a fantastic time on the program. Our thanks to Taylor Baird joining us from Dallas to give us an angle on the Canucks opposition on Monday, as well as Corey Hergott from CanucksArmy.com laying down the Utica Comets line. And for our producer, Jason Croker, keeping us on the air. That is a challenge each and every show, by the way, folks. Uh, and you haven't had to use the beep button yet, so that's a good thing. J.D. Burke at J. Dylan Burke, CanucksArmy.com, as well as part of the Athletic Vancouver, the growing force that that is. I'm John Abbott signing off for another edition of Nation Network Radio, presented by Canucks Army on a Saturday night, Voice of Vancouver Sports, TSN 1040. This TSN 1040 podcast is powered by Metro Ford. It's hard to beat a Metro Ford deal in Port Coquitlam and online at MetroMotors.com.